Welcome to the Tell Us Something Podcast. I'm Mark Moss. Like, really, I'm just building up the images in my head that will come out in a big wash of a million pieces in a short little amount of time, and, and then I'll be released and ready to go again. Since around July of 2020, I have been interviewing Tell Us Something Storyteller alumni about their experience sharing a story on the Tell Us Something stage, why they chose to share that story, and what they've been up to since having shared their story. I have a lot more of those interviews to share with you. This week, like last week, I'm going to introduce you to one of the Tell Us Something poster artists. Because storytelling is an art, I've always hired local artists to design a poster for each event. The posters of Tell Us Something are amazing in their own right. I thought it would be fun to sit down with some of the artists to chat about their process and see what makes them tick. What inspires them, how they work, and how they came to design the poster that they designed for Tell Us Something. So, this week on the podcast, join me as we go behind the scenes with local artist Tabitha Martinez, sometimes known as B. Martinez. Tabitha designed the poster for the September 2017 event, the theme that night was Up the Blackfoot. Once you put it out there, the relationship is no longer between me and the art form. The relationship is now between the art form and you. Like, what you take from that? That's your dialogue. So what your listeners take from Tell Us Something, it becomes a whole other piece to the existence. It becomes a whole other piece to the art form itself and how they share that and how they come back and how they expand what they want from things like Tell Us Something in our community. Tabitha Martinez originally hails from Rollins, Wyoming, and briefly attended the University of Montana before dedicating herself to becoming a full-time artist. Tabitha is a teaching artist at Spark Arts Ignite Learning. She lives in Missoula, Montana, where she rides her bike everywhere, paints on recycled wood materials, and regularly shows her work at Draftworks Brewery on Missoula's west side. You can see the mural that she painted on the outside of the brewery while quaffing a pint or two. Hello. Tabitha, good morning. Good morning, Mark. How are you? I'm all right. How are you doing? Not too bad. Tabitha knows that art is for keeping wild children busy. Tabitha is still a wild, busy kid, making art under the name B. Martinez, as I mentioned. She works on wood salvaged locally from neighborhood alleys, home resource center, and scrap bins from places like Superior Hardwoods, Blue Dog Furniture, recycled, reclaimed, and liberated woods, and wood products. You can sometimes visit her at Upcycled on the Hip Strip in Missoula, where you can buy her beautiful custom artwork. This week on the podcast, join me as I chat with Tabitha Martinez about being car-free, project bikes, the idea behind her Tell Us Something poster, and more. Stay with us. Big thanks to our title sponsor, The Good Food Store, and thanks to our enduring sponsors, CabinetParts.com and Blackfoot Communications. Special thanks to our champion sponsor, True Food Missoula, and really special thanks to our blue ribbon sponsor, Joyce of Tile. It's your time of year right now. It is my time of year right now. Or it should be. I should be rolling with the market season, things like that. Right. But I've really taken a lot of time just slowing down and kind of struggling my way through this, I think, with everybody else. So, so I've been fortunate. Like, I, I think because I live so 
minimally that I don't think it impacted me as hard as maybe it's impacted other other artists. Yeah. So that's been a good thing. We'll see what happens after July and where we're at. Right. Joyce was looking at the people's market online. She was just saying that there are some people who are using the online piece of it. Is that something that you're using? Uh, no, because I really don't have a big inventory yet. And then, um, so right as this all started, I thought I was going to lose my Spark contracts, right? Yeah. I thought that my initial reading of those emails... Tabith and I both teach arts integration in the schools through the Spark Arts Ignite Learning Program in the Missoula County Public Schools. That's what she's talking about here. Uh, as I came in was that residencies were not going to happen. Oh, well, we're sorry. That was close to $5,000 in contracts still for me for the year. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and that is the money that carries me into through June so that as my slow market sales pick up, I'm still making ends meet. I really only have about three, four bills every month. And, you know, I've spent a lot of, a lot of years getting to the space where I don't have a checkbook. I just have a few bills. Uh, I don't have a credit card, but that also puts me in that category of one incident away from homelessness, probably. But I don't, like, I just live really, like, my choice was to a five-year plan of living really simply and seeing if I could be a full-time artist. And it, like, it's, I've lucked out. Uh, Spark came through with that money, but also before finding out whether they were going to do that or not, I took photos of all of my remaining inventory at Upcycles and put them in groupings of prices and posted them on Instagram and Facebook. And I sold 37 pieces in a 24, 36 hour time frame. <laughs> so. Like it was insane. Foot by five foot painting to Texas at the beginning of this all. Like it cost me more than the painting was almost to ship it. So you're not having the buyer pay shipping? Uh, I had the buyer pay shipping, oh, yeah. Okay. They paid shipping and they paid for the piece and it was amazing. Awesome. Like I've, I've totally feel blessed like that the pandemic's my my role perhaps where <laughs> my sweet spot's always been i don't i don't think that's really true i think that come july i'll have to start making some important choices and i really need to start making some art but my my main inspiration is social socialization that's what feeds my brain and gets it all charged up and it's not a lot it's not a lot of socialization at all but it's just this right amount and being told that we can't socialize because it might risk the people we care about health or our own. Like my brain just struggled with that and it just kind of froze. So I've gotten a lot of prep work done during this time for, <laughs> for producing an art inventory. Like really, I'm just building up the images in my head that will come out in a big wash of a million pieces in a short little amount of time and and then I'll be released and ready to go again. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, my artist process is messy and doesn't look coherent at all. Tabitha has a spot on the Blackfoot River where she likes to spend a good bit of time during the summer. It is the inspiration for the drawing that she did for the Tell Something Up the Blackfoot poster. When do you start going up the Blackfoot? 
I do not this year. I uh, This is the end of my first year car-free, July 19th. Oh. Will be the end of my first year car-free. And I had a couple ideas about living car-free for a year. Like it reduced my bills, my output, because going to the block foot every day or putting 200 miles on a vehicle every day is a lot of gas money. Yeah. Uh, so it, it reduced money that I was putting out into the universe, and it dealt with all kinds of health issues and weight issues that all humans face as we age. So my blood pressure's great. I'm almost a year car-free, and anyone who wants to take me to the Blackfoot definitely could invite me. <laughs> but I have, I have no way to get there. The closest I can get is the bus to the Deer Creek drop-off, and then I can tube back to town. Right. <laughs> but that's a ways off still, too. So have you replaced your happy place? Uh, for Well, what I've done is just spent more time on bike. I got a mountain bike last year around my birthday for trade this november around my birthday for trade i've been riding this bike since april uh as a loaner from the bike doctor and then uh we did a business trade for it and that's my happy place but my cruiser is my happy place i i brought home a schwinn road bike that i'm rebuilding that's my happy place and so there's less like running away by getting in my car and like I said, putting a couple hundred miles on it, going nowhere. There's a lot more being present and getting fresh air and and trying new things and and so far it's been it's been good. I thought at the end of the year that I might get a car. Um, I've been looking at Chevy step vans, the big delivery trucks. Yeah. Because it would be a great place to park my rickshaw which is another bike form of my happy place i live in a tiny space that doesn't have a garage so i have no place to store the rickshaw and it's stored at a friend's house right now but a step van i could store and carry art in town with it and take that rickshaw around and and just amp up my silly business so i mean the van sounds pretty awesome you could paint your art on the side of your van as well. I know. What made me think about it was Jack Metcalf was selling his. Did he sell it? I think he did. We talked about it briefly on Instagram, and I was like, you know, I'm I'm in no place to offer you what that baby's worth, but like, this is how much I could come up with. And he gave me a minimum of how much he was hoping to get for it, and I hope he got four times that amount. Yeah. Especially with the artwork that's on it. Yeah. Hopefully whoever buys it doesn't paint over it. I know. Hopefully they love it just as it is. Yeah. Yeah. So that idea is out there that in July I could start looking for one of those. But the other thought was that I've never really been out of the country beyond Canada. So I thought maybe I'd take my car savings and blow it on a passport and a trip to Iceland. This was pre-pandemic, of course. Yeah. It's fantasy and then save up another year for a car. So, because living car-free in Missoula is pretty simple and wonderful. Yeah, I mean, unless we get pretty crazy winners. I did it once in, I think, 2005. I was living car-free for 18 months. And that winter, 
the ice on the side streets. I lived in the slant streets then. And the ice was like five inches thick. Oh, and then that so awful. Yeah, yeah, this winter was pretty easy. Yeah. And, and I don't do a lot in the winter necessarily besides teaching and the bus routes run to all the schools. Right. Well, that year I was ta- I was taking the bus as much as I could and I remember a bus slid off the road. Oh, um, uh, holy <laughs> yeah, over, <laughs> over near Southgate Mall, up somewhere in one of those neighborhoods. And yeah. I was just like, oh, God, it didn't crash. That's um, good. Yeah, yeah the, we've bumped some curbs and things, and I've been on it and thought, oh, this is not a good day to ride by bus. <laughs> <laughs> no, but when, the, when I was getting into that ice, I would just get off the bike and walk it because... You get yeah. in, you get into one of those ruts and there's nothing you can do and you're definitely going down. Well, and I just parked my bike and let it freeze over for the winter. The last time that I had a wreck in the winter, I was six months pregnant with Maxine. Oh my now god! Twenty-two. Yeah, yeah. But I remember how hard I hit the ground. Like I hit the ground hard enough that there should have been a baby lying beside me when I got up. Thank God there and, wasn't. Uh, thank God there wasn't. And <laughs> yeah, I don't. I walked all winter. Uh, which was a challenge in itself because I always joke that grandma's going to break a hip. And it, I didn't. I learned a good duck walk. Yep. And I learned to bundle. And my favorite were those days. We only had a few of them this year, but that were like in the negative 20s when it was bright blue sky and every breath made like little sparkly snow crystals in the air. Walks to upcycle on Sundays and that were amazing and brutal. But being outside just gave my brain so much more time to kind of slow down and think about art, which is what I think about all the time, like that process of, of, of what I was going to do next, what, what I could do with this pile that was sitting over here, who I could get a hold of to get wood during the pandemic as we rolled into that because nobody was open all of a sudden or, you know, there's all kinds of problem solving and, and good, good process thinking in that time. We have um, a couple pieces of maybe 12 inch wide by 12 or 14 foot long roughs on that can't be really used for building or anything like that. And I was going to mm-hmm. cut it up with a with a skill saw to burn it. Do you do you want it? Uh, if you could, if you. Yeah, I would take it. I mean, I'll take pictures of it if you would rather. Why don't you take pictures of it to make sure? What's its thickness? An inch and a half. Yeah, I want it. Heritage Timber is supposed to chop something off roughly that size this week. (laughs) Oh, Uh, thanks, Gary and Becky. Where will I put it all? Yeah. Uh, Would you mind chunking it into, like, even two sections? You don't have to measure it. It doesn't have to be even. In fact, I prefer that it's not necessarily even. You just pick a spot, cut across, and make me four boards out of the two. Yeah. Cool. And I, and I can drop right it there. off. You can text me your address. <laughs> I'll, I'll drop it off for you so you don't have to bring your rickshaw over. Cool. Because, yeah, carrying those big boards on my back, that's not been fun. I haven't wrecked yet, but... Can we do a trade? Yeah. So I don't want your art. I mean, I do want your art, but that's not what I want to trade for. What do you want to trade for? Uh, bike les- bike repair lessons. 
Oh, that, I mean, I'm not very good at that yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> he, he might be better taking a bike repair lesson from a blind person. <laughs> I'm new. Well, you said you've been... I got my brakes back on the other day after I ripped them loose. It took me three days to figure out what was wrong with the bike, though, before I realized that I'd simply turned the handlebar around so many times that I had ripped the brakes free. Oh. So, no, I don't know if you want to trade for bike repair lessons. Okay. <laughs> I've got two cruiser bikes that uh, I haven't done any sort of troubleshooting on them yet, but I don't, I don't know what's wrong with them. There's, they, they, their skeleton is great. Yeah. And I think it's just a matter of a little bit of TLC on the chain and maybe tightening the brakes. Probably. And the chain, maybe even replacing the chain, depending on that. Like if you swing into the bike doctor, Don or Eric will be there. Yeah. And they've got a handy little tool that measures the chain to see if there's a spread in it. Uh huh. They also sell little bottles of bike lubricant. I've got those. Uh, and you buy the bottle, well, they'll refill it when you run out. Okay. So, like, they do refills instead of selling you a whole new bottle, which is nice. Yeah, then you're so, not throwing away a piece of plastic. Yeah, That's yeah. That's good to know. So, but they definitely would be able to, Don would be able to give it a quick eye, and EC would be able to give it a quick eye and see. Like, they'd be able to just verbally say, this is what you need, this is what you need. Right. We went down a long rabbit hole, geeking out about bikes and bike repair before we got back on track, talking about how the folks at the Bike Doctor have supported her art career over the years. I just get, I get wrapped up in other things that become priorities, paying the bills mostly, since I really do kind of just nickel and dime my way through the world, that always has to be first priority, and playtime comes second, and playtime closer to my house is always the bike doctor. I can always get good information and silly business and community over there, and they've supported my art shows for five years. This was our fifth year anniversary party that got canceled which was a bummer because everybody I know was collecting Christmas trees to burn in the fire pit in the backyard. (laughs) We had uh, DJ Bradley. We had a DJ who was going to come and make some noise for us. And and so, yeah. And I've been there, like I said, they're the ones who gifted me the Santa Cruz mountain bike and got me out riding mountain bikes, which... I knew when I was a little kid that I loved that, but I've never been able to afford a hobby like that. Right. And so I uh, do hours as a mountain goat courier in trade uh, for that beautiful piece of equipment that I would never have owned. So I asked you about your happy place initially because I thought we were going to go start talking about the Blackfoot River. And, and, I know. And your artwork for Tell Us Something. I'm going to pull it up so I have a point of reference. Nice. Yeah. Do you have a copy still with you? I do somewhere in my stacks of things, but I can see it in my head. Like yeah, I mean, it was a, you worked a on it. combination of ideas that I had been playing with over a long time and being able to put them together because it made sense to me it was pretty awesome. Back in my earlier sketchbook days, I would do a lot of body part images, just singular body parts like mouths or eyes or ears or things like that and with the mouth it was always this this voice I would I would use graphics and words 
uh, in my sketchbook. My sketchbooks are vastly different from what I do on wood. And so when we started talking about the theme for Tell Us Something, and wasn't it like secrets or... It was Up the Blackfoot. Oh, it was Up the Blackfoot. Well, the secret spot up the Blackfoot is Red Rock. Right. And so the Blackfoot River was the first place we recreated when we came to Missoula, the first place people took us to play in the river. It just is kind of a mysterious, kind of magical place. And so putting that voice with the tell us something and the image of of the secret beautiful spot on the Blackfoot, I was kind of on a roll with that secret spot all year because I'd just been introduced to it. And then adding... A Missoula landmark, the Wilma Theater. It's kind of my cup of tea. And like in my sketchbooks, putting those kind of weird images together delights me to no end. Well, so, and there's also you've got got the Florence Hotel in there too. Well, and the Florence is part of that historic. So when I first came to Missoula, one of my first art jobs was for a little designer who lived in a house down by the Hilton Park, Kiwanis, is that Kiwanis down there with the little graffiti wall? Yeah. So she lived in a little house down there and she designed children's clothes. And she always had me do Missoula scenes, Missoula landscape scenes for t-shirts and things like that. So yeah, she always had me do Missoula images and the Missoula image, like it's pretty important to our community, that skyline we have. Like when that skyline's about to change, Missoula goes up in arms yep. when they talk about three-story buildings over on over across from the Missoulian or or when they talked about the millennial building changing our skyscape you know that skyscape's important and so piecing this Blackfoot theme with our Missoula buildings with that mouth and the angel wings flying tell us something seems to me to be this community project that gives people a voice and and we're storytellers like humans are storytellers so this voice builds community this voice gets up on stage and tells you something that lets you know that you're not alone with that like that storytelling theme seems really powerful and so making your poster was awesome for that and if I remember right, you when you gave me the poster, it was not colored in. No, so I had never, I hadn't really done a poster before. And you had been talking about the three colored screen printing, not my technique at all. Like I've never screen printed, but you had been talking about maybe having three or four colors initially, and so I kind of just froze up and was like, <laughs> "Uh, here's this." Lay in the colors you like. <laughs> and so you had just done a project for Claire Emery where you had helped paint some of her prints, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So initially... Like, I could do watercolor, and yeah. I was like, good, because I'll repulsive paper. Yeah, well, I mean, initially, you're right. We were thinking about doing this as a screen print. Yeah. And, and I had just taken a screen printing class at Zootown Arts Community Center, that Patricia Thornton taught. And so I was really comfortable in Photoshop with color arrangement, you know, splitting out colors from something that already has color lays on it. Yeah. 
And so now I was like, oh, this is going to be easy. I'll just put the three colors that I want on it. And then I was looking at how complex your artwork <laughs> is. And it's I was really like, you know, like three uh, there, there, yeah, there, it, three colors wouldn't do it justice. No, no. At all. And so I abandoned the idea of a screen print. And I got to play with watercolors and not have another artist. You know, Claire was very clear about what she needed. Yeah. And I was so grateful for that guidance. And I learned so much about layering color from her. I know, and I, now I haven't done it in so long. I don't know if I would remember how to do it, but <laughs> I had you just, know. I had just, play, you know, practice. fresh come out of helping her, back. and sh- her studio was in the. It's where Theo's studio is, Theo Ellsworth. Oh, in the in the um, Brunswick. The Brunswick. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and she had all these paintings that she was doing for a hotel up in Glacier Park. Oh, cool. And I can't remember, you know, how many hundreds there were. And she wanted them all to look as exact as, you know, as similar as possible. Yeah. But, you know, they were all hand-painted. And, and so she taught me about here, here, here's, here's, this is what it should look like. And today yeah. you're going to work on, on blue shades. And so here are the eight shades of blue that you're going to work with today. And I was like, oh, my God, you're blowing my mind. <laughs> and so, my first job was with somebody in Great Falls, a woman called Sandy, who did Christmas ornaments, Sandy's Originals. <laughs> and Sandy did glacier scenes, glacier mountain scenes. And they were very, like, have a list of peaks that she taught me to paint. And my job was to go in and paint the rough background. And then she would come in and do the detail, and I got a dollar at Christmas ornament. But I learned so much about forest and about laying down color and about where the eye and how you want it to travel across the piece from that beautiful, silly business. It was awesome. Cool. So I feel like that Up the Blackfoot was the first Tell Us Something that you ever went to. Is that true? That is. And what was that like? Going to live performances can be very emotionally intense for me. Like, I will tear up, and I will get uncomfortable, and I will laugh, and I will cry, and it was beautiful. I think on my way out, I just didn't want anyone who I knew to see me, (laughs) uh, because I do look disheveled after a live performance, and I, I think I fell down in the balcony stairwell with some popcorn and sprayed it everywhere in my attempts to flee a beautiful performance. <laughs> oh, that's an image I in and of itself. Performance, but I, uh, I don't necessarily take other people with me, and I'll be the girl in the balcony with the whole box of tissue stuffed into her pocket. <laughs> so... So live performance in the time of COVID is perfect for you right now because it's all happening on Zoom. Uh, you'd think, and I've gotten more comfortable with it. I have a friend who's pretty insistent on FaceTime calls, and the first time they FaceTime called me, I just looked at my phone blankly and was like, what the hell? <laughs> and our first Zoom meeting with Spark, I kept my camera off because all I could think about was that image of a very disheveled Chris Farley. <laughs> and that, <laughs> that is what I looked like in my home setting. But it took a lot to leave my home setting and look like people. <laughs> and so 
but I had it on for our last training and I FaceTimed my family and terrorized them. So you're stumbling down the steps, spilling popcorn everywhere, and then... <laughs> and and you walk out the door and what story is resonating for you that night uh i just think uh i don't have a what story i have the sensation of human beings who have stepped up under the spotlight been able to modulate their voices and give the world a piece of themselves without fainting dead without crying. I mean, even when that emotion happens, like the intensity and the rawness and the realness of that, like for tell us something, it doesn't feel practiced. It doesn't feel theatric, but it feels like a raw connection. And so more than anything, I stumble out of that theater and I'm struck by the raw realness of the world and the bravery of the human experience as it unfolds sometimes. So, yeah, sometimes the details of the experience are lost on me because the emotional experience I'm having in a live performance is tangible, is like just physically in my lap happening, for sure. And even she showed me the recording. We're talking about a storytelling show produced by Tell Us Something Storytelling alumni Mella Bangs that toured regionally around Montana. The show was called Momity and resulted from a storytelling workshop that Melissa hosted called Postpartum Tales. Tabitha's daughter, Anna, was one of the featured storytellers. The women shared 10 to 15 minute stories from their pregnancy, birth, and postpartum journeys. And even the recording of it gets me that way with her and that sister. Our connection to the story and the fact that this is, you know, a piece of my heart and she is this real raw storyteller. She is this amazing artist with a voice and she uses it so profoundly in places where I I might just stay quiet and be an observer. You know, she steps forward and speaks. Yeah. And that's pretty powerful. So, Yeah. We veered off talking about Maxine and then decided that if Max wants to tell her story, we'll let her do that when she's ready. Then we started talking again about Saturday Market and Tabitha's sales techniques in her booth. It'll be interesting to talk to Maxine as a poster artist because she did a poster for Tell Us Something that, um, you know, the event was supposed to be today. One of the COVID cancellations. (laughs) So I didn't even... Oh, so. interesting. <laughs> Do you know, are, are you familiar with the graffiti scene in Missoula? I am not, and I should have gone to the California Street Bridge to do graffiti that day. Uh, I was hired as a graffiti expert, which is silly business, for a Spark residency at Big Sky High School. <laughs> they were uh, trying something different. It was the theory of knowledge class. And they were looking at what is art. And so I brought in some hollow core doors that Home Resource had donated and some spray cans that Matt from Home Resource at the time had gotten me to use. 
and we went in and did an early morning graffiti class. And then there was one student in class whose senior project was to paint their container out there, their little storage container out on Big Sky's parking lot. So her senior project was going to be this graffiti piece on the IB uh, program and the points of inquiries. And she was kind of looking for a workforce, I think, sort of people to help her do this and get excited. But they also wanted to play and practice. And so we did this all together. But in the meantime, prior to this, a friend and I ran out to a dirt road where there was a tunnel under the interstate and decided to practice with some professional spray paint cans. And the fishing game busted us. I laugh now, but I cried in front of the judge. I bet. And it was probably spendy, a spendy ticket. Well, admit it wasn't too bad. I did community service at Garden City Harvest. Nice. Down on the River Road Farm, Mm -hmm. which has me committed to spending some time down there this summer just doing some volunteer work because it's a great program and it gets you free vegetables. And other than that, they came down hard verbally, but they weren't too hard on us. And it was just a, just a weird incident. I don't think I'm one for getting in trouble <laughs> as much as I might look like I'm down for that. I definitely am hesitant to commit graffiti or vandalism crimes again. Right. Well, your daughter's piece is like, it looks like a graffiti piece. Yeah. And yeah, and you had just had your garage tagged, didn't you? Yeah, we did. We had our greenhouse tagged right Aww. after that. And I asked her, and she's like, I don't know who did that. And I'm like, I believe you. But I feel bad because, you know, the June show got canceled. And I knew that it was going to be canceled. So I never printed her poster. Aww. Except for I got all of the posters that have ever been made for Tell Us Something. Uh, Marlo framed them for me. And we were going to have a show at Clyde Coffee. Oh, cool. For June's first Friday. And obviously that got canceled too. So I have all these framed yeah. posters that are waiting to be hung in an art gallery. And hers got Aww. hers got framed. So Good. it's cool. It looks cool. Yours looks really cool. I didn't frame the original for some reason. And I have it in my okay. studio. I'm going to get it framed and keep it in my house. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it was interesting blowing her mind. She didn't know about Photoshop layers. No. And when I hired her, like she, she acted so confident. And um, she was like, oh, yeah, I could, I could provide that yeah. end product. And I was like, oh, great. And then she, you know, she was struggling. We met at the break. And she shows up on an iPad. And I was like, are you doing all of this on an iPad? And she was like, yeah. And I was like... Oh, oh, God. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so then I showed her what layers. Yeah, I showed her what layers were and how they worked, and she was like, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> she was just, yeah. "This is amazing." <laughs> yeah. Well, and she had asked me, and I, you know, I don't have a computer, I don't have Wi-Fi, and any documents I produce are through Google Docs, usually, or right. something like that, on yep. my phone. Mm-hmm. Like, I can produce a PowerPoint on my phone that takes up so much memory. But So she called, and she was like, how do you do this? And I said, I can do it on a computer, <laughs> but I can't, like, none of the phone programs I've had, or the app programs I've had, 
have even had enough memory to be able to do it on them. And maybe you should message Mark. I think he'd be super open to walking you through some of this. Well, she borrowed an iPad <laughs> so from somebody. Awesome yeah, she bor- she borrowed somebody's iPad, and she had drawn this thing out, and it was it's beautiful piece of work. Yeah, and <laughs> I was just like, okay, so why? What's your struggle? Why aren't you? Why can't you give me the finished product? And she didn't tell me right away, and I was like, let's just meet. And then, yeah. and then I was like, oh, she's embarrassed. I'm like, you don't need to be embarrassed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's a, it's a slower process, but when, when you see it happen, it's, it's amazing. Cause she's, you know, she's chosen a path that, uh, that's brave and fearless and, and sometimes does not have the experience to back it up, but <laughs> gets to the point of being able to ask for it, yeah. which is huge. It was awesome. So, um, you know, at Saturday Market, you appear sort of nonchalant and um, almost dismissive of people when they try to talk to you. I'm like, they're interested in this painting. They want to buy it. And you're like, yeah, they'll buy it if they want it. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I get different feedback from people. So sometimes when I go on my storytelling tangents, my neighbors at the market will be like, hey, you remember that time? We talked about how you made more art sales when you didn't talk so much. It's so <laughs> I'll funny. Be like, yeah, I remember. <laughs> I can still carry that monkey in my pocket with its hands over its mouth. Do you I remember? Do you have that experience when you don't engage people? You <laughs> sell more. I think sometimes when I engage people, I can make them uncomfortable. I think the more I smile and the less I talk. Somebody once told me they found me super charming is how they started the conversation. They wanted me to know. They found me super engaging and charming and wonderful. And this was outside of the art world. This was in a job. And then they gently took my hand and let me know that I needed to practice something called keeping a little mystery. (laughs) Okay. It would go a long way for me. And they were really gentle about it, and they were charming and funny and hysterical, and we had a good laugh. Uh, But I do think, like, some art sells do count on that you know and some art sales need the rawness and openness I sold one of my uh, favorite pieces this last summer and it is called Woman Laughing and it's a pretty intense piece of art for me not all of my art is created out of feelings of intensity or emotion or growth or healing you know, my little pieces are just little bits, colorful bits of the world that I'm putting together, forests and things. But you get these bigger pieces that I make, and they do have lots of thoughts that go into them. And to be able to share with a person enough about the piece to make them want it without, like, sharing so much that you cause them trauma and they need a therapist after <laughs> visiting with you <laughs> about this piece of art they had been interested in. But now that they know the darkness behind all that light, they're like, ah. So I don't want that hanging yeah. in my living room. Yeah. <laughs> and this human I sold this to, I was able to tell her the story of the piece and the healing behind it without crying, without oversharing, and with enough joy in it that she sat with it for about five days and came back and paid for it and took it home. Because it really spoke to her, probably on those same levels, that she didn't need 
laid out in graphic detail. Right. You know? So you're... And that's the one thing about art, is it speaks to people. Even the pieces you don't like, and you're like, what the heck did I do there? Somebody else is going to pick that up and say, whoa, that touches my heart. And you're going to be like, well, that's a little ugly bit of myself, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you just spoke to a truth of storytelling twice just now in like 30 seconds. One one thing that you said was, here's these ugly bits of myself that speak to someone's heart. Yeah. And that's part of the reason we make art. Well, and that's part of the reason Tell Us Something gets me. Like, in the live performance, when you are up there and you are one of these people who have taken that step to be brave and get up and put... Every time you have an output of art, that's a little piece of yourself. Ugly, pretty raw it's powerful yeah and the other thing that you just hit on was when your corporate friend was telling you that you have to keep a piece of the mystery yeah <laughs> the other thing that she was saying that was implied and that you sort of fleshed out a little bit when you said i can't tell the story of this painting because i don't want somebody to feel traumatized yeah what you said is what I say, and the way I say it is, like, there are three responsibilities you have as a storyteller beyond telling the truth. The first is to keep yourself safe. The second yeah. is to keep the people in your story safe. And then the third thing is to keep your listeners safe. And so when yeah. you're telling a story to a potential art buyer, you intuitively are doing that. Yeah. Because you don't want to reveal too much and then maybe cry. Yeah. <laughs> have them run yeah. away, you know? Or even worse yet, like I've, I often will be in a position where I will tell, like if I am in a space where I'm in that oversharing, is tell something that's just equally traumatic and laugh. Uh. <laughs> and the, the, the would-be customer is equally as unsettled and, and they are no longer a customer. Like it's that sweet spot in your storytelling, in your sharing of art. And it's also that spot where you allow the, once you put it out there, an artist that sculpture in the wild said, once you put it out there, the relationship is no longer between me and the art form. The relationship is now between the art form and you. Like what you take from that, that's your dialogue. So what your listeners take from Tell Us Something it becomes a whole nother piece to the existence. It becomes a whole nother piece to the art form itself and how they share that and how they come back and how they expand what they want from things like tell us something in our community. You can find Tabitha's artwork on Instagram. Follow my artwork is on Instagram. It has less weirdness to it, <laughs> uh, less extra stuff. I mean, there's definitely still extra stuff. I'm an artist, and so there'll be a lot of cat pictures. <laughs> uh, but it's where, where you get views of what my work looks like in progress. You see finished pieces as they finish. What I have learned ever since Chris Latrey, uh, he's the only other human, I think, who's interviewed me. Uh, he did an article one October and said I was like this hardest working artist. I had first Fridays every month of the year or something to that effect, and then I kind of froze up and was like, ah, no, I don't. I'm not working at all. <laughs> In fact, shh, no artist here. So 
at that point, I started selling pieces almost as fast as I would put them online. So when I'm doing a lot of First Friday shows, I won't always uh, have pictures of art until I have a whole batch. But in this time where I'm not able to do First Friday shows or not participating in different offers yet, on Instagram, I tend to get a piece close to done, I'm showing the process, and I'm selling the paintings before they're finished still. So it's a little bit slower, and I'm not producing as fast, but that's definitely where you'll see the newest things coming out of my weird little brain. That was a fun conversation. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, I think it was a lot of fun, and I'm so grateful uh, that you spent the time with me today, and I'll see you at the next Zoom meeting. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Coming up. Have an awesome day. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Thanks again for listening to my interview with Tabitha Martinez this week on the Tell Us Something podcast. I hope that you enjoyed our conversation. Coming up, a knock on Jerry O'Connell's door yields an unexpected visitor seeking permission to fish in his backyard. He grants permission to Noah McLean on the condition that Noah join Jerry and the family for dinner. Noah agrees and mistakenly leaves behind an important fly box. Stay with us. Thanks again to our title sponsor, The Good Food Store. Dedicated to supporting a healthy community, The Good Food Store provides a wide selection of organic food and natural products. Shop less, shop solo, and shop fast. Now offering curbside pickup. Learn more at goodfoodstore.com. Thanks also to our enduring sponsors, cabinetparts.com. The number one source for cabinet hardware since 1997 providing the best kitchen cabinet hardware at a great price and knowledgeable hardware specialists, CabinetParts.com is the direct source for all of your cabinet hardware needs. Blackfoot Communications. Since 1954, Blackfoot Communications have fostered a reputation based on exceptional customer service and community involvement. They deliver superior technology solutions through trusted relationships and enrich the lives of their customers, owners, and employees. Learn more at Blackfoot.com. Thanks to our champion sponsor, True Food Missoula, offering weekly meal delivery to nourish your family and friends. Have a look at the menu and order online at truefoodcsa.com. Huge thanks to our blue ribbon sponsor, Joyce of Tile. Licensed and insured in Montana, Joyce of Tile specializes in interior finish work. Whether you know exactly what you want or need help with design, Joyce of Tile works with you to realize your tile dreams. Joyce of Tile provides you with tile installation that will enhance your home for years to come. Learn more at JoyceofTile.com. Jerry's story was recorded in front of a live audience on September 10, 2017 at the Wilma in Missoula, Montana as part of the Up the Blackfoot storytelling event produced in partnership with the In the Footsteps of Norman McLean Foundation. About seven years ago, I got a phone call. My wife, Deborah, and I live up on the Blackfoot in Greeno, like I said, not too far from Juanita. One afternoon, I get a phone call, and it's a, some guy up in Sealy Lake, and he had just talked to somebody and mentioned that he wants to come down on the Blackfoot and fish in this one particular area, but didn't know if, who he needed to get permission from. This person said, oh, that, you're, you're talking about the O'Connell's place. Call this guy. So he, she gives this guy my phone number. So he calls, and he says, uh, would you mind if I came down and fished in your backyard? Because when I was a kid, my grandfather taught me to fish back there. I didn't have the, the courage to tell him that 
you don't need my permission. This is the Blackfoot River Recreation card where anybody can go in there and fish. It's you. But I was like, yeah, come on down. So an hour later, he uh, knocks on the door and he come out. And he's this nice young guy from California. And uh, we're just chit-chatting. And he's, I says, where's your grandfather from? And he says, well, he's, he was up in uh, Sealy Lake. Uh, but he died. I said, well, who was he? This is Norman McLean. It's like, oh my God. I tell you what, you can fish in my backyard, but <laughs> as long as you come up afterwards and have dinner, because I want to suck your brain with every, because I've been a river uh, runs through it fan since I read the book in the 1980s. So he does. He goes down there and he uh, fishes for the day and comes back and we have dinner. And he's this wonderful guy. He's, uh, he's actually, we didn't find out until several years later, he's had his own successful career as a, a sound engineer at Hollywood. He's done the sound for Men in Black, Men in Black 2, for all sorts of uh, music people. He's got Grammys. He's a cool guy. In fact, today at the McLean event, one of the things we showed, we tried to get uh, Robert Redford here for the movie. Well, he's out of the country. So what he offered to do was to record the foreword of the latest version of the book A River Runs Through It that he wrote the foreword for. So he recorded it wherever he was in the Netherlands or Indonesia or something and <laughs> sent it over here. In order to put it to sound, we had this guy Noah. Norman's grandson do the sound work on it, which was really kind of this sort of neat thing. Anyhow, we got to be pretty good friends, and every year he started coming back. And the second year he came back with his brother Jacob, who's around here somewhere too. And they'd go down to this spot and they'd fish, and then we'd have dinner and have cocktails, and off they go. About three years into it, he comes, he fishes, he leaves, and about a week later, he calls me up and said, and this is a long shot, but I had a box of flies with me, and I was down on those rocks there fishing. Did you go down and check to see if they're still there? Eh, you know, it's been a week or so, like no chance. So I check, and I go down, no flies, nothing. I call him back, he's like, sorry, Noah, bad news. He's like, okay, well, it's worth a try, thanks, bye, boom. Maybe a month goes by. My neighbor, Charlie, and I, particularly in the fall, one of the things we like to do is to take these little, we each have one of these little one-man cataract little rigs. We put in, he puts in at his house, floats down to my house, I meet him, and we spend, oh, probably two, three hours of just very slow, leisurely fishing in the dusk hours, just a two-mile float, but it's great. There's nobody else around. The fishing's excellent. It's quiet. It's peaceful. There's an eagle or two, and it's just, you know, it's really kind of a Montana moment. So this, this is about a month after Noah's been there. We're floating down. Before I go any further, let me first give you a little bit of McLean genealogy so you can understand the names of the players of the story that's coming. You got Norman, you got John and Jean, son and daughter. Oh, don't forget, you got Tom Skerritt, he was their parents. <laughs> <laughs> and then underneath there, you've got grandkids, and Noah is one of them. So Noah is from Jean. Gene is from Norman, Norman is from Tom. <clears throat> so I'm floating with Charlie. He's not in that line, he's my neighbor, he's over here. <clears throat> we're, uh, we're floating down a river. Now Charlie's a, he's a brass hackle guy. He's throwing spinners, he's a spinning rod. And I'm fly fishing. And Charlie pulls off to the side, goes up on the bank and he starts fishing around some rocks and everything. And, and I float past and we just kind of zig and zag. And, and after a couple hours, we get to the takeout 
and I got my pickup there. And I flip down the tailgate, and we're loading our boats up. And he pulled it out, and he throws his fly box on the, on the tailgate. And he said, you want that? I found that sitting on a rock in the water, perched on the top of a rock, like 10 feet offshore. And I look at it, and it's, and it's got three initials on the side of it, SSN. And I'm thinking, SSN, that's, that's, that's what submariners, that, that's a symbol for a nuclear submarine. All the subs are SSN. And I'm thinking, it must have been a submariners and fly fishing around here or something. But I got his fly box. Okay, that's cool. So we get home, and I take the fly box, and I toss it on the counter. Now it's tossed upside down. Well, SSN, if you turn it over, it's NSS. Noah S. Snyder. That's the name of... Like, what are the odds of this? This is crazy. How could that be? Anyway, I call Noah. And I say, no, I, I might have found your fly box. It's a little plastic fly box. He says, open it up. Has it got nine little compartments? Yeah. He says, what's in the middle compartment? What? It's a pair of turquoise and stainless or sterling silver earrings. He goes, oh my God, that's my box. Thank God. <laughs> he says, those ear, my, my wife gave my mom those as a gift like 15 years ago. And I, and I took my mom's fly box when I went off. Or how, I forget exactly. Those were her earrings. And he was gonna be in deep caca if he didn't get. <clears throat> so he was really happy. I mailed him the box and uh, life went on. And two years ago, we had our first McLean weekend, like we just are wrapping up here today. Uh, and it was all up in Sealy Lake at the time. Well. I invited Noah as, as part of the program because Noah, he's one of the McLean family and he's, he's a very, very enjoyable guy uh, and a good speaker and has great stories about Norman that are just legend. So we invited him there and I'm, I'm introducing him to a crowd like this up in the Double Arrow uh, Lodge. So I'm up there and to get him in here, I'm t I retold this story to the audience, and uh, I'm getting ready to say, and I'm, and I'm about to say, and I'd like to now introduce you, to no, and there's a lady sitting out in the field, in, in the crowd, and she's, <clears throat> and I said, yeah, and she stands up, she goes, I'm Noah's mom, and these are the earrings. <laughs> it was like, perfect, and that's my story. Jerry O'Connell founded Big Blackfoot Riverkeeper and is currently the executive director. He first viewed the Blackfoot in 1986 while hitchhiking through Montana. It was love at first sight. And that moment planted the seed that eventually resulted in his moving from New England to the Blackfoot Valley in 1992. His love affair with the Big Blackfoot River continues today. To learn more about Jerry and his work, visit tellussomething.org. Next week on the Tell Something podcast, we'll hear from four storytellers sharing stories of the work that they do. Working together, we are making a difference in our communities and building a great place in Montana for people to work, play, and live. This live storytelling event resulted from a corporate workshop that I hosted for Mita, Montana Economic Developers Association. Slowing to go over a speed bump, I see a lively elementary school around the corner and gaze wistfully at a for sale sign on a modest home. Join Tell Us Something corporate workshop storytellers for stories of work, 
and the importance of taking an active role in your local community through your vocation and your work. They had just been shafted by the company that had bought their company. So I was buying them their beer. Ironically, in a couple of years, they would develop a fully automated company that without employees, doing about four and a half million dollars a year in sales. Tune in next week for that. And remember to subscribe to the Tell Us Something podcast. Thanks to Cash for Junkers who provided the music for the podcast. Find them at cashfordrunkersband.com. Thanks to our sponsors, Missoula Bone & Joint, providing superior clinical orthopedic care to their patients for over 60 years. MissoulaBoneAndJoint.com. Access Physical Therapy, an enthusiastic team dedicated to providing compassionate and comprehensive care to their clients. Learn more at AccessMissoula.com. Thank you to our in-kind sponsors, LogJam Presents. Top Hat Restaurant and Bar is open with limited capacity in-house dining and takeout. The Top Hat also now features geodome dining, social distancing taken to the next level. Their new private geodomes seat two to six people and are perfect for staying warm and cozy while enjoying local food and drink through the winter months. Learn more and reserve your dome at logjampresents.com. Missoula Broadcasting Company. Learn more at missoulabroadcasting.com. Float Missoula, formerly known as Enlighten Lab Float Center. Learn more at floatmsla.com. A nurse of physiotherapy. We want you to move better and feel better so you stay in motion. Learn more at inertiaphysiomc.com. Geckodesigns.com, MissoulaEvents.net. Podcast production by me, Mark Moss. To learn more about Tell Us Something, please visit tellussomething.org. Stay safe, wear a mask, take care of yourself, and take care of each other.